The Hero's Journey podcast is filled with an abundance of spoilers. If you haven't read this week's book, I recommend you do so, as it will certainly help you follow along. Although, if you're only interested in hearing our take on this story, listen on. Hello, and welcome to A Hero's Journey, a podcast in which my two far smarter friends, Alex, and I'm Zach, attempt to convince me, your judge, Jack, and you, the listener, whether a story is a hero's journey. The hero's journey is Joseph Campbell's monomyth. It breaks down the most common recurring themes of our stories into a single template. The journey consists of three overarching parts, the departure, the initiation, and the return. The departure is where our hero is called to action and leaves their ordinary world behind them. The initiation, where our hero undergoes the trials and tribulations of their quest before ultimately achieving their goals. And finally, the return, where after having completed their quest, our hero must return to some semblance of normalcy. This week on A Hero's Journey, we're going to be discussing The Lines of Alvarezan by Guy Gavroquet. This book is loosely based on Moorish Spain and follows three characters, Jahan, a physician, Rodrigo, and Omar, two soldiers and mercenaries. Um, As the book begins, these characters are all collectively exiled from their countries and take service in Ragosa. From there, they develop a relationship and friendship between the three of them. Unfortunately, they are driven apart by their differing religions going to war, uh, eventually forcing a duel between Rodrigo and Amar, after which Amar and Jahan leave Aurasan for Serencia, and we join them 20 years later to find that the Jadites have conquered Aurasan, similar to the Reconquista of our real-life history. And let's begin where all true great heroes' journeys begin with our departure from the ordinary world when you lose your family's urine flask. Since there are a lot of characters in the lines of our sign that we follow different viewpoints, uh, it might have been confusing which which character we're going to start talking about. But we're going to follow the story of Jahan, the physician. She has the most complete hero's journey, although Rodrigo, Amar, Alvar, and several other characters go through many steps, I think Jahan is the person we should focus on. Her call to adventure was Amar at her booth, um, calling her to go see Husari ibn Musa, and then the day at the moat occurring while she was with uh, Husari. Her call is to help him exit the city, and therefore exit the city herself, throwing her to exile. And the journey that she's going to be going on is to find a new place in the world, having been basically exiled from the city that she lived in and loved her whole life. Now, there is no refusal of the call, because as John says of the the Kandath, Whichever way the wind blows, it will rain upon the Kandath. So it just shows her general mindset and her lack of refusal of this call. The mentor for Jahan is her father. Uh, There's definitely some mentoring that happened before the setting of this book and him teaching her medicine. But really, when he speaks to her for the first time in years, having had his tongue and eyes cut out for performing a life-saving surgery, on a, um, a Shirite woman that he wasn't allowed to touch. He speaks and gives Jahan the servant, Velaz, that will help her in the future. So for crossing the threshold, this is when Jahan exits the city of Fizana and meets Rodrigo for the first time. And they have this battle in Orvilla. Um, this is the first time that she is really left the city and got on her own first time she's experienced battle and first time she has treated people after a battle so it's a good threshold even though she's close to her home so it's not uh, the total separation 
So the belly of the whale for Jahan is when she enters Ragosa and the service of the king. And really when Omar and Rodrigo are both in the city as well, they have that duel against the five men and they uh, have a conversation afterwards with Jahan and convince her to join their band and work as the physician for their group. And that's really the belly of the whale because she's separating herself entirely from where she was before and joining a military group on a campaign. For your call to adventure, I think you've chosen a fairly good journey for Jihan uh, here. And it's brought pretty quickly to the forefront through the events of the, the day of the moat. And I don't really have any particular problem with that. Nor do I have any problem with the fact that you've conceded the point that there is no refusal to call because she sets out to this with with quite a bit of haste, especially considering the danger involved. Now, as far as her father being the mentor, I'm curious how you feel that almost all besides the reminder to take Velaz, and I'm pretty sure she was already going to be taking him, at least there were... I, in my memory, there was indication of that um, before her father kind of gutturally pronounced that. I'm just curious how you feel that most of the mentoring took place before the book actually starts and before the journey itself starts um, and how that might infect his role as the mentor in this particular journey. Because we've talked about other mentors being able to that heroes are able to have other mentors throughout their tale, but it's a bit of a mismatch to call the one right before the journey even starts the primary mentor. I think that there is some aspect that's taken away by the fact that a lot of this mentoring occurred before the time of the book. But uh, I think that as we know later in the story, Jahan's father comes back in and teaches her more so that, I think aids a little bit more to my point. Um, I'm really not going to get into that until the atonement with the creator, but the the surgery that her father performs and shows her, it just, in my mind, further emphasizes that he is going to continue to teach her. As for the specific gift I mentioned of her father telling her to take Falaz with him, Falaz came to that decision on his own, but it didn't occur to Jahan to ask him to come until her father insisted. Uh, Falaz would have gone anyway, but if Jahan had insisted he stay, I think he might have. And her father telling her to take him with her and get that protection is, I think, an important piece to note. So your argument here that crossing the threshold is this first interactions with Rodrigo and Orvilia. Um, I understand that it's situations that she hasn't found herself in previously, but I think we find her so quickly and easily adjusting to the role of doctor caring for people, even in such a strenuous circumstance that I found it not a huge departure. She's dealt with people who, you know, as a doctor are in pretty dire straits. And this is just a continuation of that. Zach, um, I think that you're kind of making a good point with this. I think that Jahan's reaction to this situation is a little bit different than you would expect from someone who's entering a new world for the first time. I think that that's related to her physician's training. Uh, there's a quote from later in the book when she's performing an amputation for the first time. She says to herself, let them always believe you do nothing but this procedure day after day. I think that she has taken that to heart and in this encounter, she's acting like she's done this a hundred times. This is the only thing she's ever done. And that's why she's presenting this like nice face. Um, not really a nice face. That's why she's presenting this stoic face in this terrible situation she finds herself in. Because she is using this physician's tool to pretend she's done this thing a hundred times. And just she's used to it even though she is not and ex she's experiencing this for the first time. So your main argument is that her training has masked it, but that it's still a significant enough moment to be a belly of the whale. Uh, crossing the threshold, yeah. but yes. Yeah, crossing the threshold. Um, okay. 
Uh, I see the reasoning. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I see what you're saying. Um, for the the belly of the whale, you're saying that it was the military prowess of these two men and her decision to join them on this escapade, which she was mostly kind of tricked into, to be frank here, that uh, is her crossing over into the real part of the quest as if the the dangerous situations and new things that she's found herself interacting with up to this point have been relatively inconsequential? Uh, it's not so much that they're inconsequential as they're not as important as this relationship that she's entering into. Omar and Rodrigo are, are renowned and known throughout these nations in the peninsula. So entering into a campaign with these two people, I think is the final separation between her known world and herself. She could have just stayed in Ragosa and served as a physician there, but she's going to go on the campaign with the two, the two mercenaries. And there is not really a danger to her. I think that the danger is experienced by Rodrigo and Omar in this duel that they have against the five men, even though they show great prowess in there. But I think that's going to be a point that comes up again um, a couple times where the story is really about all three of them together. And even though we're focusing on Jahan, there are some points that Amar and Rodrigo are hitting in this story. I understand that the, the book is vastly shaped around these relationships. I think if we're focusing on Jahan here, that being mostly tricked, and I don't have a direct quote from you, but the moment that at the very end of the chapter where they're having the conversation and Rodrigo is, is petitioning Jahan to, to be his military doctor for his company, that it's not till the very end where she's left Rodrigo and Amar's company, like presence, and she goes, oh, you know, damn, I think I just realized I agreed to be the doctor for the company and I didn't even realize it. So I think the, you know, beguiling nature of these men and the effect that they have on her has left her heading down the path of this quest somewhat um, with the wool over her eyes and a little unaware of the thing she might get herself into in the future. And as such, I don't think it's the best belly of the whale because at any point she can really just come to her senses and head back to the court where she's the court doctor and being envied by the prince of the uh, uh, of her people. I think that uh, going on this journey, I think you're right. Jahan could have stayed in Ragosa, but she didn't. She chose to leave and go on the journey instead. So that is really the belly of the whale. Even if she was a little tricked into it, she's trying to find her place in the world. So going on this quest is entering that belly of the whale and deciding she's going to find her place with these two men versus staying in Ragosa and finding her place among the court doctors. I think for me that this breaks down pretty nicely as uh, there's definitely a distinct call to adventure and a distinct refusal of the call, or sorry, a distinct lack of a refusal of the call. Uh, her father is a very clear mentor and she definitely crosses over into this new world, but I have to agree with Zach that her moment of this moment that you're trying to depict at least isn't her moment of the beginning of her change. She kind of just is still stumbling along into what may or may not be a grand adventure with some truly, truly hot dudes. And that's going to take us nicely into the initiation, which Alex will start us off with our Road of Trials. The Road of Trials is going to start with the first battle that the company has against Sharif the Outlaw. In this, John performs an amputation for the first time. Later, there is an assassination attempt on Zabria's children, potential heirs to a kingship. And then third, we're going to have the fires in Fazana. Through each of these... Jahan develops her skills as a physician and her knowledge of this world and politics around it 
and she also develops her relationships with both Rodrigo and Omar. The battle takes place with both Rodrigo and Omar leading a charge together for the first time. The assassination attempt is collectively stopped by Rodrigo's men and Omar, and the fires display Rodrigo's desire to help his friends and Omar's ability to do the same. All three of these, all three of these things really highlight the relationship that these these main characters have and the importance of it to them. For the beating with a higher power, I think that the night and the of the carnival is this step. In this, Velaz dies, the servant that has been with Jahan her whole life. So this shows Jahan the importance of families and relationships she's developed. And a greater understanding of these developments is useful in helping her resist her temptation, which is a temptation between her people, the Kandath, and the relationship she's developed with Omar and Rodrigo. When Sorencia, which is the city of the Kandath Falls, she felt a tug to stray away from her friends and blame them, especially Rodrigo, who is a Jadite, and they're the people who destroyed that city. But she says, I cannot hold you responsible for the doings of every man or woman of your faith. And that shows her rejection of this uh, temptation and a desire to stay on the path with her friend. For the atonement with the creator, I think we need to look to the surgery on Diego where her father is participating. This shows that Jahan still has things to learn, but by being a little bit more daring, she can truly do great things. This is the center point of the story. All these characters are having to face down their loyalties due to the fight that caused Diego to be injured. Amar is rejecting his country to help save Rodrigo's family. And then, and then um, we have the eventual breaking up of this group where Amar and Rodrigo have a confrontation and have to leave. So this is really the center point of the story. And because Jahan is working with her father and helping preserve that relationship, saving Diego to keep the respect between Rodrigo and Amar, I think that's a good atonement. For the apotheosis, we have Jahan realizing that she would go with Amar even though he's going to a place where she could be persecuted for her religion. Um, she says to Rodrigo, I will not leave him. And just further emphasizes that this relationship with Amar has become the most important thing to her. And for the ultimate boon, we have Amar, um, Jahan's eventual husband, surviving the duel with Rodrigo after that relationship has broken down. This allows her to retain that relationship and like Miranda, the wife of Rodrigo says, she has time to gather memories against the dark that she can keep um, to remember Amar if he were to eventually pass. So I think the primary problem with your road of trials here is while these are all things that happen in Jahan's life, they are primarily things that others are attempting around her and succeeding in now i will give you that the uh amputation she says hasn't it has a low success rate and it's something that she primarily does through her own skill but the assassination attempt that is foiled on zabira's children is almost actually entirely thwarted by amar and rodrigo and with no input from her. And it's mainly because they went against her own express wishes and had her followed. Um, meanwhile, she plays a very passive role in the fires of Izana because she's primarily worried about her parents. She gets them into the quarter, but does nothing to stall the oncoming mob or save her people. She, even her mother was already aware of the exit they took from the city, essentially making her only contribution to the rescue effort being, hi guards, uh, you know me, let me in. And so the problem I have is that while, yes, in the, your first example, it showcases her skill and growth as a, as a doctor, these other ones are things happening to her that she's more of a bystander of. So I don't think they 
at least in my mind, fit a traditional trial. Yeah, you're right. I don't think these fit a traditional trial, but we have to think about the context of the story. The, the story is really the relationship between these three characters, and that is definitely developing in all of these um, situations I laid out. I I would be okay if this was rated not a hero, because we are specifically trying to focus on Jahan, and she doesn't really fit this mold in this in the road of trials at least but i do think that the relationship that develops is the important thing for the story and i was just trying to emphasize that okay i guess that makes sense for what you were trying to focus on um but as far as uh jihan finding her place in the world i think this is more of her being too passive to really be considered looking for it now with the meeting of the higher power um it's velaz's dying and therefore meeting the higher power himself that is her higher power like is the higher power here just her relationships because i have a hard time understanding how her relationships can be a goal as well as a higher power in the in the hierarchy of the story the, the higher power here is the carnival in, in big quotes. Um, I had a hard time trying to pick pick one person who is a higher power in Jahan's life because I think she has a lot of agency and power despite the fact that it might not seem it's it might not seem like she does at first glance. There wasn't really a person who stood above her and gave her something. But this, the carnival, this event, and the really the assassination attempt on Rodrigo, where Velaz is killed, does show something to her and gives her something, gives her this idea that these relationships are more important than her identity as a Kandath. Um. Okay, so that seems slightly different than what you were saying, and so I'm going to have to have you expand on it a bit, mainly because I don't think her identity as a Kandath is being threatened, specifically at Carnival. Um, she certainly has this amorous relationship with Amar, and it's like where she's looking for her place in the world, but I don't think the death of her essentially uh, guardian and, 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 and servant, family friend, is something that shocks her away from her culture and her people. Yeah, so it's not really shocking her away from her culture. It's more emphasizing that these relationships are important. And the reason I say that it's reminding her that it's more important than her identity as a Kandath is because of the temptress that we see. Um, I'm just going to have us move along from the meeting with the higher power. Well, well I get what you're going for. Ultimately, I feel as if we're stretching too much to try and fit this idea. That's fine. <laughs> right. Uh, your temptress, which you stated is her identity as a Kandoff versus her relationship with these people who, for the most part, treat Kandoff as lesser. Um, I, I like this. I think it's different than our, our typical or what we would like to think of as the stereotypical temptress. But... I find she pretty quickly dismisses the idea, especially when faced with the destruction of Serencia. There are moments, especially at the very beginning of the story, when she first interacts with Rodrigo and they talk about, they talk about the pilgrimage that the Jedites take to a, a shrine for a queen who would see the eradication of her people. But by the time we're talking about the things going on in the book at this point, the very first thing Rodrigo says to her is, I'm so sorry, you know, what can I do? I promised that my people weren't this bad, but they, they seem to be. And immediately, there's no hesitation, she forgives him and says he's not to blame for the sins of, of his religion and his people. So I just don't feel like specifically at this point in the story, even though the relationships are as uh, ingrained and as fleshed out as we saw see towards the end of the book, there's still more than enough for her to not succumb to those ideals i think that the temptation for jahan is weakest among these three but we see that these three main characters have a pretty big parallel 
So Amar and Rodrigo are tempted towards their religion and their nationality very strongly. And Jahan is tempted pretty weakly, but the temptation is still present there. So I, I agree with you that it's a weak point and she dismisses it fairly fast, but it is still one that is present. Your atonement with Creator, I think you've chosen this mainly due to the what I would call the secondary analysis of the atonement with the creator in which being it's the center um, of the story, you know, where the characters are facing each other and, and everything's culminating on this and less to do with the idea of overarching kind of power holds the ultimate power in their lives. Because I see everything in this instance happening of a very, voluntary nature and I think at most it's Diego who's being faced with the person who holds the ultimate power in his life in the form of Jahan's father and I never feel like Jahan is, is in any direct danger or you know anything where I fear for the journey that she's accomplishing at most there only seems to be exclusive benefits from the situation and so i was just curious how you f feel about the fact that the interaction in this case the surgery on diego it can only truly have a positive lasting impact in jihan's life as opposed to a negative one at least in my view because if things are to go wrong then it's another patient that's fallen under her knife and she you know has something that she couldn't help with so if things go wrong, yes, Diego is just another patient that she couldn't help. But also, Amar set up this um, this ambush and got Rodrigo's son killed. So Rodrigo and Amar probably couldn't come to terms and come to an understanding that... Re reconcile? Yeah, come to a reconciliation after, over this. And really, that would tear the whole trio apart. Even though they're they're forced apart pretty soon after this, <laughs> they leave in a kind of understanding. They leave with Rodrigo protecting Amar from being killed on the spot. And and how does that work out for Rodrigo? Poorly. It's <laughs> irrelevant. Did you say it's irrelevant? I mean, yes. he's technically right. It for this point, it is irrelevant. But I, what is not irrelevant is that your argument about how things would change is is if things went wrong is what you know happens almost immediately after is that they all have to part ways because of the the people that they have chosen but to align themselves with. The way that they're parting ways is the important thing, right? So the way that they depart is with Amar being saved from immediate death by Rodrigo versus if if Diego had died, maybe Rodrigo wouldn't have stood up for Amar and said, hey, go return my men and that will be like, we'll, we'll just dismiss this issue that we're having. I think that there, the, the surgery is an important step for Jahan, but the ramifications of that is really the atonement. It keeps the relationship cordial and friendly and respectful versus disastrous and deathly. I can see the difference. I just think it doesn't necessarily fit with the atonement with the creator, but I, I see the lens you're trying to look through it from, and I, I'm not particularly inclined to repeat my argument, I suppose. But for the apotheosis and the ultimate boom, I think my biggest problem with Jahan's apotheosis and her ultimate boon, even though the ultimate boon takes place, you know, farther in the future, is... It seems very, not even selfless. Selfless isn't the right word. It seems very, I'm going to be giving up on a lot of things 
and putting my power in somebody else's hands while deliberate seems to be of a lasting nature that I think belittles the journey that she went on. And to use the kind of trope, I guess what it really boils down to is, Oh, I'm going to leave all I've known behind for a man. And that's the end of it, you know? And I, and I, even though it could be dangerous for me, I'm not thinking clearly. She's not using that physician's head. It's very much a, a romantic decision as opposed to a logical one. So I want to push back on this. I don't think that it's purely a romantic decision. Jahan has worked hard to develop this relationship. She has agency. She has power in the relationship. I think that's important to recognize. It's not Amar saying, no, I will not leave Jahan with you, Rodrigo. It's Jahan saying, no, I'm, I'm making a choice. Amar is the person I want to be with. And we need to respect the agency there. Okay, do you think the fact that the time delay for the ultimate boon is her with her husband surviving the duel against Rodrigo? Like, if we look at what we talked about about the ultimate boon, it's, it's the achievement of the goal of the quest. So why wouldn't her life with Amar between her deciding to leave in the apotheosis and that duel be the ultimate boon? Why does it have to be the death of the other part of this triumvirate of, of, of characters? The death of Rodrigo isn't the ultimate boon. I if don't know. Look... You're talking about the survival of Amar, which if in a 1v1 contest is either or. Yeah, but if we look a little bit deeper, Miranda, Rodrigo's wife, in her viewing of the duel is thinking about her life with Rodrigo and how many years she had and all these memories that they have together. And she says like to herself of Jahan, she, you, she hasn't even had time to gather memories. If she were to lose Amar and lose this relationship, she would have very little to look back on in the grand scheme of her life. So, it's not as much Rodrigo dying as her husband surviving. Uh, I know that they seem to be the same thing, but you have to look a little bit deeper there. Is the gift she's given essentially what you're trying to say is time with her husband? Yeah. Yes. Now the question becomes, does that imply that Rodrigo's is that Rodrigo is giving her that gift? Because she's not taking this for herself. Her realization, the thing that's being gifted upon her is there's there's like three primary ways that someone receives the ultimate boon that we've talk, kind of talked about. It's getting it's given to them through the well not given to them. It's received by them through their own actions of prowess, heroism, or, or what have you. It's bestowed upon them by an ultimate power of some sort for the jobs that they've done. Slightly similar to the first, and then third it's given to them by somebody else in the story through their self-sacrifice or something along those lines. So I just feel like she bypasses the first one so unilaterally if this is the boon she's trying to receive in that there's no action. She doesn't have any agency in this ultimate boon. And if the ultimate boon is supposed to be this like amazing gift that, that is bestowed upon them through their own actions, I just don't feel like she did anything. Sec, I think you're right. Jahan doesn't have a lot of agency in this duel specifically, but she has a lot of agency in what happens after. She is able to develop this relationship further, and that really is the ultimate boon. Not winning the duel, but being able to live beyond the duel with with her husband. So <clears throat> her ultimate boon is the freedom to live. <laughs> Yes, her ultimate boon is getting the access to the freedom to live. Yeah, I, I still see. Fuck I, it. I'll, I'll, no, I'll accept I that. still see a blue I'll jack. Take that. <laughs> that might be the most on the nose ultimate boon possible. She made her choices, and then her ultimate gift from—I mean, in the, the whatever, whatever—is granting her the ultimate boon. Whether you want it to be Rodrigo's sacrifice for that duel, he totally. Totally through, right, guys? Definitely um, not. I, yeah, I think he threw it. So, the ultimate boon that is gifted to her by fate is the chance to actually get to, 
enjoy the fruits of her decision. Yeah, I think the other two major points of contention are on the road of trials. This is one of the few times that I think we're really seeing, although our character undergoes some amount of change, at least the major events of the story don't seem to be her personal growth. Uh, and there's not really a traditional meeting with a higher power. I understand what Alex was trying to go for with this realization that all that the three of them are more are more important than any of their individual religions or loyalties, but it's not really coming out of a meeting with a higher power on the night of carnival. And also then they all discover that and then ignore it to go <laughs> to war. <laughs> And that's going to cycle us nicely into the return to from the world of our quest, which is going to start us off here with our refusal of the return. Knock us out, Alex. Yeah, so just like Jack said, our refusal of the return is staying in Al-Rasan for a year. So after Omar and Rodrigo have a duel, Omar returns to lead the armies of the Eshirites for a year-ish before he's again exiled. So this is really Jahan's refusal as well as Omar's. Both of them together are making this decision, I would assume. They're staying in the world of the quest and endangering their ability to have the freedom to live, which we just said was the ultimate boon, for a, a significant period of time. This magic flight is different than our traditional one. It's the time skip 20 years later, where we see Jahan and Amar together in Sorin. So this rescue from without occurs before the time skip to 20 years later, and it's Yusar banishing Amar instead of killing him for slaying of the Caliph. So Yusar is being pressured by his people to kill Amar and resist that to just exile him because he avenged the death of his brother. And this preserves the freedom to live that we established as the ultimate boon. Um, for crossing a return threshold, this Jahan setting up this community in Serencia, living with Omar, her children, Alvar and Marissa, the daughter of her tutor and now wife of Alvar. For master of the two worlds, Jahan is both a respected physician and figure in the community, as well as a mother and master of that more domestic life. And for the freedom to live, like we've already said, she has the ability to live the rest of her life without prejudice and danger in Serencia and her small community, including her husband, Amar, and her friends, Alvar and Marissa. So one of the problems I have with your decision to make this a joint decision between Elmar and Jahan is that it's not explicitly stated. I see what you're trying to do here. I just feel like the decisions that were allotted to them does not make for the ability for them to go on to what you want them to be. And that they're them staying in Alfrazan, um, even though they're in danger, is something that he has to do for his own you know, pride in his own position. And it doesn't seem something that she seems to be intimately involved in. So I, I see this, like Omar is probably the driving force between Seng and Al-Rasan, but I think we've seen enough respect and like um, mutual decision-making between Omar and Jahan throughout the rest of the book to get a sense that she is at least having a part in this decision. It's probably not a unilateral decision. It, even if Jahan is being convinced into this, I still do think she is taking some part in the decision making. And you're right, we don't we don't get to see explicitly this happening. So I think this is going to be up to the reader's interpretation. But I do think she's having some help in the decision. Now for the magic flight, I think you're taking some pretty severe liberties here in that a 20-year time jump encapsulates far more than 
simply the possibility of a magic flight. Yes, we find them in a completely different location, but I think the time jump, while we make fun of the being blacked out, which is in itself a form of time jump, but that's relatively minor. This 20-year time jump that's really more of a device to let us know what happened in the overarching history of the world, I think does very little to support uh, a general escape from the realm of danger. Yes, they're in a new place, but we don't know what sort of hardships that would be unstereotypical of a magic flight may have occurred uh, on that journey. It could have been fraught with dangers, hardships. We don't know if Amar has a peg leg. I mean, it's, it's all up in the air. Uh, we do actually know that his leg is injured and he now has a pretty severe limp, at least. Um, I think you're right. Um, the literary device of this time jump does technically fit the step in my mind, but it, it is not as clear as a lot of the other things we've had. It's not like a magical teleportation or even someone passing out and being rescued. So I do want to push back. I think that this literary device is used to take the place of the magic flight in a lot of stories. So I think we should consider this the magical flight. But if Jack wants to take a more hardline view of, no, this wasn't magic, that, that's okay. So what, as much as I would like to make the argument that they remain unblacked out and therefore no magical flight has taken place, what I will actually say is that if we've chose based on the ultimate boon that we've chosen, that the magical flight is meant to be rescuing from rescuing from that danger. And well, maybe you could argue that our son is what is dangerous to them, right? You we framed the ultimate boon around this duel with Rodrigo, and there was no magical flight from that duel that we see. Right? There there's a time skip that happens there, but we don't see anything in relation that doesn't right that's still at that point in time we're unaware of who's won the duel that's before we even know whether or not she's really received her boom that that's very fair uh so while I, while I don't disagree with the idea of time skips as a literary device being able to qualify for our magic flight because they do accomplish that same goal i don't think that they actually do that here yeah i see how your rescue from without has yasir being the one who could have taken his life and does it and therefore is, you know, rescuing them from a fate. Once again, it's um, something I don't love as a titular example of this chapter, but uh, I think it fits just fine. So I'm not going to push you hard on that. Whereas you spent some amount of time talking about the relationships she made being import more important than the community in which she has grown up in. And we see by the end of the story that not only have they mostly um, become one, but they've also skewed heavily towards the origins. And so I find, I find it hard to to give her that kind of benefit of the doubt, right? Does it make sense what I'm saying? Like we spent so long saying that the goal was to, to value one over the other, that really by returning to it and setting up this new situation, I feel like it's undermined somewhat of these revelations that you've had her making. So I see what you're saying, but I think that this, what you're saying uh, really emphasizes the point. So crossing this return threshold is sharing the gift that she's learned on the quest with others. I think we can make a small leap to say that she has shared the importance of the relationships and instead of her identity as um, a citizen of Fizana or a Kandath with Alvar. Alvar was a Jedi. He was a soldier and through Jahan and Rodrigo, admittedly, he comes to realize that he doesn't want to be involved in the killing. He wants to focus more on his friendships and relationships. And Alvar becoming a Kandath and becoming a physician and marrying Marissa, who is the daughter of Jahan's tutor, 
I think shows that he has become he's begun to value the relationships more than his identity. So that would be a pretty great example of someone sharing the wisdom they have gained from the quest with another person. I like that. I like that it's returning. But what I think you're trying to segue into leaves somewhat to be desired for me because it segues into her mastery of two worlds, both as her family and her community and her occupation. The problem I have with it is it seems extremely similar to the life she would have led had this whole thing not taken place. She would have been a doctor who eventually had some sort of family and lived amongst, you know, her cat, her community. And the story would have just been located in a different city and, or she would have died an early death because she would have been in the quarter when the fires took place and none of the rest of this would have happened. Her end goal, what she actually ends up with is just unremarkably similar to what she started out with. So Alex, allow me because it's going to bother, it's going to bother you because you've just been stressing that we should change the definition. But so Zach, what you're saying is that in her return to, from the world of the quest, she goes back to a life that would have been similar to the one had, uh, had she would have led, had she not gone on her quest minus her ultimate boon that she got to bring back with her. Yeah, she brings back her husband, and her. So she received the ultimate boon of the quest, which she then brought back to the ordinary world. Yeah. So I think Jack is focusing more on this freedom to live, which I will argue to to death. That no, she but has but a even just from a live. mastery of two worlds perspective, I'm just pointing out that I understand what Zach's trying to say, but. It, the idea that she's back in the life that she would have lived and didn't accomplish anything in the quest, she did. She had, right, her quest was about finding where she was in the world. And the answer is where where the answer turned out to be in a similar, right, she is a healer in a similar style of way that she would, the life could have played out for her, except that she's got this very different perspective on life from her husband. Yes, um, I think that there's some something taken away from this that we don't get Jahan's perspective in this epilogue where where we see her having this mastery of two worlds. But I agree, she's maintaining that mastery of the the being a physician and incorporating this new thing that she has acquired on the quest, her domestic life and motherhood. She certainly achieved those things and ends up in the situation I've painted. Whether or not you think that really implies a mastery, uh, I think that's up for debate. But And then I have no problem with her freedom to live. She's lived her life how she's wanted for the past 20 years, and we've seen the end results of it. And she's free to live them the way that she wants into the future. There's nothing currently impeding her, and, and for me to argue thus would be would be disingenuous. And that's going to close us out here. I think the only two points that we were really missing, and I think I was pretty clear on the lack of a magic flight. Uh, it, so the only real point to discuss is the refusal to return. I just, I think that it is really Amar's refusal to return. And uh, not that we haven't harped on it a little bit, but as a factor of when the book is kind of meant to be set. I don't, regardless of how loving the relationship is, I don't really see that as much of Jane's choice at, to stay. She's staying because it's her husband, not because she thinks that staying in Alrasan is the right choice necessarily. <laughs> Let me know if you disagree and if you think that maybe within characters I am missing something there and I've got that completely wrong. And hit us up at a hero's journey podcast at gmail.com or at a hero's journey pod uh, on Facebook. We really appreciate when we hear from you. As a whole, that's going to leave us with a final score of 11 out of 17 points hit. 
which is towards the lower end of things that we still think of as having a hero's journey throughout them where we didn't really have to try and get super bendy with the phases of the hero's journey to get them to fit. Looking at you, the last wish. Uh, And I'm going to pass you over to my delightful co-hosts because while I have enjoyed this book, they truly love it. So I think it's better for them to give the parting thoughts. Yeah, so I think this might be my favorite book we've covered for the podcast because there is like a weird journey, but I could still find one in there. Obviously, I argued for it. I, I in fact, wrote notes for four characters trying to pick out their hero's, individual hero's journeys. Um, and I really wasn't sure until the very end in a conversation with my host which one I was going to go with. Uh, I think we made the right choice. I think Jahan hits more of the points than Rodrigo, Amar, and Alvar. But I think the trio of Jahan, Rodrigo, and Amar hit a lot of points together. And I tried to sprinkle that in when I was discussing it. But really, the belly of the whale, the road of trials, their temptresses all being basically the same. And... Uh, unfortunately, the ultimate boon hitting for two of our characters, I think, really just shows that the relationships, like I've been arguing the whole time, are the most important thing. I very much enjoyed this book. I think it's packed with enough, enough historical pseudo-references um, to to really delve deep into and encompasses a certain amount of serious topics that I find make the characters extremely worthwhile. Uh, when you look at them as a whole. When we just focused in on Jahan, I felt we did somewhat of a disservice, but for the purposes of this podcast, like uh, Alex said, it's it's necessary. Uh, I would recommend it as a read to anyone who wants to give it a shot. I think the author's writing style of delayed gratification of key points that makes you want to keep reading is extremely good. Uh, there hasn't been a book in a long time in which he tells you the end result, but leaves out one key piece of detail and then retells the general same plot from the point of view of another character, adding a whole new side of it to then arrive at the same situation in which you receive the missing detail. And he did that more than a dozen times in the book. And every time he did, I went, wow, that's, that's really cool. So again, uh, highly recommended for me. Yeah, and Guy Cavalcade, the author, it does this really well in all of his books that I've read. Um, these are not stereotypical hero's journeys, so if you want us to do another one of these books, if you think that these are fun, please let us know. Uh, locations Jack said earlier, and links are down in the show notes. Uh, and as always, I have been your host and judge, Jack, and remember, it's not a magical flight unless somebody's unconscious. This is Alex. And I'm Zach. And join us next week when we delve into the hero's journey in Red Rising by Pierce. Yay! Oh, thank you. I have another quote that will destroy this point. That's fine. There's no good argument. This is a really good threshold, so. I know. But what if it wasn't? Oh, okay. Then let me make that that, your argument. Pa, you suck. (laughs) 